Three new retailers are coming to State Street. Yes, really. And it's time for our weekly conversation with Crane's residential real estate reporter, Dennis Rodkin, about news of the week from the local housing market, including a look inside a home once owned by a Titanic survivor, condo flipper drama, and more $2 million condos coming to the West Loop. We could probably right now just sort of insert little sound checks of me over the past several years saying, it used to be that a million dollars was a lot in the West Loop, but, you know, give up on that. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Thursday, December 16th. In these uncertain times, it's important to have people you trust by your side. When 11,000 local business owners needed a Paycheck Protection Program loan, they turned to their Wintrust banker to secure funding because that's a relationship they can count on. Businesses are navigating some of the biggest challenges they will ever face. Wintrust is here to answer their calls. They'll answer yours, too. Start the conversation at Wintrust.com slash Daily Gist. Member FDIC. Hi there, and welcome to Crane's Daily Just Live, brought to you by Wintrust. I'm your host, Amy Guth, and I'm joined, as I am every week, by Crane's residential real estate reporter, Dennis Rodkin, here to talk about news of the week from the local housing market. Hey, Dennis, how are you today? I'm great, Amy. How are you? I'm well, thanks. We've got a couple of stories to revisit that we've talked about previously. Let's start by talking about the pre-fire home that we were talking about last week that was set for demolition. It was demolished, and there also has been a building permit issued. They are putting up a five-story building with seven residential units and a seven-car garage. That's really kind of all you have to put on a building permit. So what we don't know, still don't know, is it condos or rentals? I think it's most likely to be condos. Any sense of timeline? Any of that? No. I mean, really, all we're doing is going on the permits that, in this case, uh, Chicago Cityscape pulled up. Yeah. Well, we'll have to wait and see. All right. Well, speaking of the West Loop... There are more $2 million condos coming to that area. At one point, you'd think they'd be all condoed out, but no, not the case. No, and and uh, it's kind of interesting because it's only a few weeks ago we were talking about one new project that was announced called MOMAD at Madison and Morgan with about 25 units at $2 million and up, ending at about $6 million. And now there's another building, Embry, on Ada Street that has been announced. They have 35 condos left to sell, and of those... 34 are priced at $2 million and up. There are about a dozen condos in that building priced under $2 million, and there are about four dozen in that building priced over $2 million. So the numbers I just gave you are, are what's still for sale. There are about 11 of each under $2 million and over $2 million under contract to buyers. So what we're looking at is a total between those two buildings of 71 new condos coming on the market at $2 million or more. And, you know, we could probably right now just sort of insert little sound checks of me over the past several years saying it used to be that a million dollars was a lot in the West Loop. But, you know, give up on that because two million dollars, we can't call it the entry price because there are condos in this building under two million and there are other condos in the West Loop under two million. But two million dollars is sort of a an ordinary figure in the West Loop now, which is true in places like the Gold Coast and, and Streeterville. Uh, But the West Loop is actually selling more than many of those neighborhoods at this point. You know what? These units almost look like like a rehab of an old building. I don't know if it's the tone of the floor or that kind of rounded edge of the doorways or whatever, but it looks like it's a it almost looks like a rehab. 
Well, you know, this, so once again, these started $2 million, so you expect a lot. And this development team completed a building called Hayden right around the corner from this site where Embry is going, where it was a very high level of luxury. And really a lot of what's gone into Embry is what was successful at Hayden. And I think what you're describing, that sort of historical look, that's really what what they're putting into these condos. That's what people responded to well at the first building, Hayden, which was smaller. And then you get things like this, um, this outdoor space that is you know, covered, it's roofed, but it's part of your living space. So this whole idea, I mean, essentially what they're trying to do is, as I said, pick up the torch from the first building, what worked there and the historical references work, the outdoor spaces work. These are big units. And I mean, just the way the windows are positioned, you almost don't need artwork here, right? These beautiful white walls really just kind of keep your eye on that skyline because it looks like just about everywhere you're, every direction you're facing, you have this gorgeous view of the city. You do. And it's interesting. So Embry is, I, I can't remember, I think it's 16, it's going to be 16 stories tall. And what the people, the sales team told me is just because of the way it is sited, Uh, And the fact that everything to its east in the West Loop is already built new and lower, you have these sort of showcase views due east to the skyline. You also, as you mentioned, see south, east and west, which is interesting. You get church spires and all those kinds of things. But it's really that va-va-voom view of the downtown skyline that we all want. Anytime we can work the word va-va-voom into the podcast, it's a good day. Yes, but safely. I described a skyline so nobody can. That's right. (laughs) Only about skylines, sometimes about ceiling molding detail, but mostly skylines. Speaking of condos, let's talk about a little bit of drama. There is some condo flippers that have alleged that their neighbors intentionally messed up their sale at Water Tower. What's going on here? And let's start by saying this is all allegations. Yeah. So because we're going primarily out of a legal filing and the lawyers for the defendants didn't talk to me, We don't know much. We only know what's in the filing. So what's in the filing is Flippers bought a condo in the water tower on the 55th floor, and they were sued by people who lived on the 54th floor. That was in 2000, it was in late 2016, and I actually covered it in early 2017. The lawsuit turned on the idea that you're not putting in the right kind of sound deadening flooring in your 55th floor rehab. So we on the 54th floor are hearing everything. They sued at the time. And at that time too, I was only dealing with the legal filing. I didn't know any other details. Well, what transpired in the years after is that their case lingered for quite a while. There were appeals and various other things, but eventually a judge said, yeah, you know, you've got no case here in part because um, the, the, Water Tower Board, the Homeowners Association Board, had approved that kind of flooring for its sound deadening capacity, the kind that these rehabbers were putting in prior to those people filing the suit. The board had approved this kind of flooring. And there were other reasons that the judge said, you've got no sound argument. So then the rehabbers put the thing on the market in 2019 and they sell it in uh, 2021 for $1.1 million less than they had had it under contract for before they were sued. Because again, they're selling in 2016. Things are going pretty well downtown. The water tower was actually, I wrote about at the time, was a huge place for flipping because a lot of older generation people were selling their condos that they hadn't done much with. Somebody comes in, updates it. That's exactly what was going on here and uh, sells it at a higher price. 
So it was a good market and they had a contract. They had a signed contract with a buyer, which is in their lawsuit for $2.8 million. Then when they're finally able to sell it, a lot has changed. COVID has emptied downtown, social unrest, looting, other things have made North Michigan Avenue pretty unfortunate situation. Uh, so buying in the water tower is a lot less interesting and prices plunge. And so they sell it again. They had it under contract for 2.8 million. They sold it for 1.75. Um, so they lost about 1.1 million. Uh, and so now because they have sold and, and it's all done, the rehabbers are suing back to the people who sued them originally saying, you know, you wasted our time and you did it intentionally. Their lawyer argues uh, in the filing that it's pretty clear that it was just their intention to keep that unit empty because it was quiet. If there, you know, if people move in, it's going to be loud. We've had it quiet for a few years because again, this was a rehab of an older couple's condo and those two people had died. The condo had been empty for several years before the rehabbers bought it. So the people living downstairs, according to the lawsuit, figure, you know, it's great. It's quiet up there. It's empty. And, you know, it's unfortunate, but somebody eventually got this, the 55th floor condo for more than a million dollars less than somebody else had been planning to get it a few years earlier. So those people, I don't know who they are. They're probably happy. Sure. If there's a silver lining here, it's that eventually somebody got a discount, but that's really digging for a silver lining. Yeah. Well, we shall see how that settles too. Let's revisit a house that we talked about before, and that is a house that was owned by a Titanic survivor. I remember talking about this maybe, I don't know, time doesn't exist anymore. I want to say yeah. summer. We talked about it in January. Holy I think. smokes. Okay. I was going to say June. That's not <laughs> accurate. <laughs> so in January, we talked about this house. What we talked about in January is one condo in this old mansion. Now there's a second condo on the market in this mansion. It's the first and second floors, and it's the one that has the most original features. So that's what the news is now. This was built in 1917 for Emily Ryerson, who was a survivor of the Titanic. She and three of her children survived, but her husband went down with the ship. And part of his story is in the movie Titanic. But five years after surviving the Titanic, she builds this mansion at Wrightwood and Lakeview in Lincoln Park. It's designed by David Adler and Henry Dangler, and it's very grand. And there are a lot of features in it, like what you're seeing here today, these columns in the what's now the dining room. It was used for something different before. Really beautiful staircase. There are carved pediments over the doors. There are fireplaces. And a lot of this is still there today more than uh, 104 years later, even though the building spent about 50 years as a recovery facility for people with addictions and mental health problems, the rehabbers bought it from them. It was a thresholds facility. It hadn't been residential since 1946. So there was a lot of beating up that had gone on in this building, including when we get to the living, this living room, I walked through when they first bought it. This had been being used as a basketball floor and you could see the scuff marks all over the ceiling of this room where people have been playing basketball in this gorgeous room. So it's been taken back and it looks much as it would have when Emily Ryerson moved in. The fireplace, the flanking bookcases, the pediment over that formal door and this herringbone flooring, all that was in the room when Emily Ryerson moved in when the house was finished in 1917. So it's just this idea that Emily Ryerson sort of surrounded herself with a certain kind of luxury, herself and her three children, 
with a certain kind of luxury. And the same thing is there today. I do love the care taken to preserve those details. It would have been easy, you know, once this was moved back out of the treatment center to just kind of like gut it and make it this very modern space, but to really restore those details, that's really special. Yeah. And when you look at the other condo, which I did uh, and which we talked about back in January, that had been turned, that was servant rooms and things mm -hmm. like that originally. It had been turned into dormitory rooms uh, it, while Thresholds was there, possibly by a, a previous user as well. So there really was nothing left to, to bring back. And in fact, these, these rehabbers originally offered it either as one single family home or as two condos. And eventually they found there was not a market for a 16,000 square foot house. Yeah, I was, I was kind of wondering that. I, that was sort of the same idea I had was like, well, that'd be a pretty darn big house. And it's right there. I mean, it's right on that edge of like Lincoln Park. It's sort of an oddly shaped lot too. Well, yeah, it's an interesting spot because you have park across the street from you. Um, if you just heard the hacking, that's my dog, not me. <laughs> I asked him to be quiet. He's hacking something he, up. He, exceedingly like each week wants to have a bigger and bigger part of the show. We should just, we need to get him a microphone and just have him on. That's probably true. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's right across from the park. You have that incredible Elks Memorial, up yeah. the street, which is one of the most ornate buildings in Chicago. And the other thing is, so this is at Wrightwood and Lakeview, uh, though it's in Lincoln Park. And if you go from this building north along Lakeview, sort of attached to it is a row of really beautiful Georgian row houses that were built with this designed by the same architects, Adler and Dangler. Um, and, and it's it's a really, it's like a really special little piece of the neighborhood. Yeah. And then that interesting detail that this person and her children, she survived the Titanic. All right. Well, speaking of historic homes, let's go to South Shore and talk about this 1920s house. And from the time I, I wrote the story to today, the news has changed. What I wrote was, can somebody save this? Will somebody save this house? It's in foreclosure. It's on Craigier. It's in the Jackson Park Highlands, which are just full of beautiful houses, not houses in this condition, boarded up. The inside you'll see is, is banged up. It was in foreclosure for quite a while. Uh, and eventually the, the lender did take possession of it and has it on the market for just under 245,000, 244.9 wow. um, on a big lot. It's right in really the sweet spot of the Jackson Park Highlands. You've got lake nearby. You've got beautiful houses all around. What I don't know is, was there a rehab going on? Mm -hmm. Don't really know how it got into this condition. Uh, the, the agent for the foreclosing lender doesn't really know the story, but it had been in somebody's hands for quite a while. There's these beautiful old twisted columns inside. When you first walk into the house, you have this operatic overlook. You have this balcony that looks down over the foyer so that you know i've walked in and you can come out in your ball gown and sing an aria to welcome me that and you know thing. i would <laughs> could you do an aria for us now uh i haven't warmed up properly give me a minute <laughs> according to the the agent for the for the lender the agent who is representing it they're asking two two forty five thousand it probably needs at least that three hundred to three hundred and fifty thousand in in updates there's a ton to be done very unlikely to be demolished because it's in a landmark district. And what the agent Ryan Smith said to me is it's, it looks like it's in really good shape structurally. It's one of those brick fortresses that were built in the twenties. So unlikely to be demolished. As I said, a few days after I wrote the story, it went under contract. So 
I hope to find out that somebody has bought it to bring back all its grandeur. You'd have something special. And Ryan Smith, this agent, works in the foreclosure realm. And I've talked to him many times about these kinds of properties. So he estimated if you buy it for about 245 and you put about 300 in it, you still have less in the house than homes of, of good quality are valued at in South Shore. He thinks it would be valued at over 600,000 uh, and you'd have under 600,000 put into it. That's all an estimate. Yeah. And of course, until you get in to do the work, you don't know whether there are you know, snakes inside the plaster. Or We've whatever. all seen the money pit and know how that goes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. Another house. Let's head to uh, Old Town. Michael Kornick, who is uh, a name in the restaurant industry, he is selling and he and his wife are going to Colorado. But tell me about this house that they're unloading here in Chicago. It's on Wisconsin. It's a, um, it's a beautiful old row house. A lot of people know these, this group on Wisconsin. They're just beautiful. When uh, Michael Kornick and his wife, Lisa Koch, bought it in 2013, it was sort of their empty nest time. Their kids were grown uh, and they rehabbed the whole thing. What he told me is they thought it would take a certain amount of time and a certain amount of money. And it took more of both. Right. uh, Which tends to happen. Uh, And then so that was 2013. And they put in a kitchen that works for somebody like him. Michael Kornick, did we say uh, he was in the restaurant still is, but was in the restaurant business in Chicago uh, from the early 90s until just last year. And he was behind Marche on Randolph Street. He was one of the people involved in Marche, DMK Burger Bar, the restaurant MK with his initials, Michael Kornick, really well known. They rehabbed this house in 2013. And then in 2020, uh, he was in partnership with with David Morton in, in a restaurant business. And he said he's just sort of not, uh, he handed the reins over to David Morton. Morton is more aggressive about expanding the company. Kornick wants to kind of coast, you know, he's a little, he's, he's older than, than Morton. So he had already handed over the reins of the business. They spent some time in Colorado and also spent some time back East during the pandemic and decided, yeah, we want to live in Colorado. So they came back, they bought some land in Colorado. I think it was four acres where they're going to build came back here, put this on the market and sold it pretty quickly. They were asking 2.35 million. They sold it for 2.3 million. That's a million dollars more than they paid for it. I asked how much they spent on the rehab. He said, we probably didn't make money in the sale. So they may have spent more than a million dollars. He wasn't doing the math. He was just sort of thinking it through. So we don't know that for sure, but bought it for 1.3 1.3 million in 2013 sold it for 2.3 million in 2021. It's an all new interior. Really, all that's left is the historical wall, the historical facade, and then the party wall b- between it and the next row house. And they just re, you know, they built this really wonderful big home for themselves. Uh, kitchen runs right out to a sort of outdoor dining area. Really pretty. Yeah, it's a nice house. And it has, I mean, it, it seems like it has some eclectic touches, it, certainly the furniture and the decor. But beyond that, even, it, there's a lot of like personality in this house, it seems like. Yeah, which we don't often see in listings because people sort of denature their houses right. before they put them on the market. They have an art collection. And he said that a lot of the the, the big expanse of white wall was there to as a way to um, show their art. 
And where they're building in Colorado, um, Willie Nelson used to live. So I asked him and he said that Willie Nelson is not their neighbor. That's a shame. I was hoping for that. <laughs> I was looking through where they're moving and Willie Nelson's name keeps coming up. So that was sure. Sort of they're not friends with him yet. They will be, I'm sure. Give it time. They'll settle in and be. Make him dinner. You're a chef. Make him dinner. Right. That's, that's how you win people over. That's how you become friends with Willie Nelson. All right. Well, Dennis, what's coming up in the week ahead? Uh, I'll be honest with you, Amy. I have not thought that far ahead. Uh, let me just surprise you next week when, when we're back at this. You always do. <laughs> I will be happily surprised with whatever it is. And I'm sure there'll be plenty of it because there's always a lot to say about the residential real estate market and beat. So, all right. Well, thanks so much, Dennis. We'll talk to you then. Thanks, Amy. Coming up, a new data science program is coming to City Colleges with help from U of C. The institutions are working together to strengthen STEM education and career opportunities for Chicago's Black and Latino students. We'll talk about that and more right after this. The Greater Chicago Food Depository has never faced a need so great. Food insecurity is still above pre-pandemic levels and children are particularly at risk. Together, the Food Depository and its network of community partners can help every family in need. And they're taking on the root causes of hunger, investing in local partnerships, providing job training, and bringing food, dignity, and hope to our neighbors. Learn more at chicagosfoodbank.org. You're listening to Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth. The Block 37 shopping area downtown is adding three more tenants. Some rare good news in languishing loop retail. Lindbergh, Designer's Market, and Candle Time are opening stores at Block 37, the nearly 300,000-square-foot shopping center across from Macy's flagship Chicago store on State, that according to a statement from the property. The three stores won't fill a lot of space, though, just 13,000 square feet. But as Crane's commercial real estate reporter Albie Galoon writes, the leases could be a glimmer of hope for downtown, where the retail vacancy rate for the central loop, which includes State Street, jumped to 26.1% this year, up from 14.7% in 2019. That according to Chicago retail brokerage Stone Real Estate. Many retail spaces went dark after the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic as stores and restaurants closed, many for good. In June, indoor golf venture Five Iron Golf leased 11,000 square feet in the four-story mall and First Ascent, an indoor climbing gym, also expanded to 28,000 square feet, up from 11,000 square feet at Block 37 earlier this year. According to CoStar Group, a real estate information provider, the property is 65.3% occupied today, down from 67.1% in early 2019. Governor J.B. Pritzker announced on Wednesday that the state has reached a deal to sell the Thompson Center for $70 million. The governor said that the state has entered into exclusive negotiations with the Prime Group to sell the building, a move that he said would save taxpayers $800 million. The new majority owners will pay $70 million up front and intend to develop a state-of-the-art mixed-use building, he said, that would include offices, retail, and hotel space. The Prime Group said that the renovations could begin within the next 12 months if the deal closes within the next six. East Coast-based lab space co-working provider Biolabs, a company that lets life sciences researchers rent lab space by the month, is coming to Chicago. 
betting on the city's continued growth as a hub for biotech and pharmaceutical companies. The company leased around 30,000 square feet at Sterling Bay's Life Sciences Building at 2430 North Halstead. That according to the developer and the company. The location will be the first in the Midwest for biolabs, which is like WeWork, but for companies that need lab space for scientific experiments and research. And the deal adds a new type of lab space offering to a market that's seen a surge in demand for it. Companies that came out of research at Chicago-area universities that used to leave for major life sciences research hubs when they grew are now able to stay, thanks to developers building lab space properties for more types and sizes of biospace businesses. As Crane's Danny Ecker reports, the deal adds a new type of lab space offering to a market that's seen a surge in demand for it. In addition to space, Biolabs, which has 10 other locations around the U.S., provides staff to help manage the labs, help with permitting and handling IT issues. Chicago Department of Public Health Commissioner Dr. Allison Arwady said in her weekly Q&A session that the city's booster rates are slightly better than the national average, but since most vaccinated people in Chicago haven't gotten a booster, there's still work to be done. The percent of fully vaccinated people who've received a booster shot is 51.5% for people over 65 years old in the city and 49.1% nationwide. Similarly, 39.7% of eligible people at or over the age of 50 have gotten boosters in the city, and that figure is at 38% nationwide. The rate of younger eligible adults over 18 in Chicago is 28.7% and 26.9% across the country. The FDA and the CDC last week also gave approval for teens ages 16 and 17 who got their second dose of the Pfizer vaccine at least six months ago to be able to get a booster shot. In her Q&A session, Arwady also warned against complacency and again tried to dispel the myth that COVID-19 is similar to the flu. A new data science degree program will be established at City Colleges of Chicago with help and input from U of C as both institutions work to strengthen STEM education and career opportunities for Chicago's Black and Latino students. U of C faculty are helping develop the curriculum for a two-year data science program offered at City Colleges, which serves 80,000 students each year, the majority of whom identify as Black or Latino according to City Colleges data. The deal between U of C and City Colleges will also provide postdoc fellows opportunities to teach data science at City Colleges. Two to three fellows are expected to be hired for the 2022-23 academic year. And the deal builds on work the two schools have done in the past to introduce City College students to STEM education offered at U of C. A course at the school's Pritzker School of Molecular Engineering has been offered exclusively to City College's students since 2019, as the two aim to provide STEM education to more underrepresented students. Pew Research shows that in 2018, only 12% of the bachelor's degrees awarded in the U.S. in STEM fields went to Latino students and just 7% went to black students. And data from Chicago tech sector Booster P33 shows that Black and Latino people represent just 14% of the local tech workforce, which includes mostly software development jobs. A recent report from P33 linked the disparities to the few Black and Latino students pursuing computer science majors. And beside data science, U of C and City Colleges say they also expect to launch other programs centered around quantum science and engineering, as well as physical, social, and biological science. They say they also plan to create fellowships and internships to bring City College's students to U of C's campus and vice versa, and have faculty work on research projects together. 
That's Crane's Daily Gist for now. Check in on our continuous news feed at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guest, Crane's residential real estate reporter, Dennis Rodkin. You can follow all of our conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your audio on demand. And remember to rate and review Crane's Daily Gist because that's the best way for others to discover our episodes. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.